We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Omani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmine. We begin reading, it says in verse 1 and 2 Chronicles 10, And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. And so you can kind of visualize that, like uh, for us, uh, a new president gets elected or whatever, and so everyone goes to Washington, D.C., you know, to uh, have that inauguration take place. And uh, if you were to look at a map, you would see Shechem on the southern border of uh, the tribe of Manasseh, uh, just above Ephraim. And so they gather together. I'm sure it would be a glorious day, right? At least that's what they thought. Uh, Rehoboam here in verse 1, he was uh, Solomon's son. And Solomon had thought about this day, believe it or not, you know, that one day somebody's going to take over, you know, someone's going to get the kingdom. As a matter of fact, in Ecclesiastes 2, in verse 18 and 19, he said, I, I, I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. You know, and Solomon, when he wrote Ecclesiastes, he kind of had an interesting perspective. Some say he maybe even was a little backslidden. You know, and he was thinking, man, all this hard work, you know, all this labor, and one day I'm going to die and I'm going to leave it to somebody and who knows what they're going to do with it. You know, some parents uh, may have that mentality, huh? They're working so hard and they, you know, get a lot of uh, riches, so to speak, and they leave it to their kids, who a lot of times end up squandering it. That was what Solomon was thinking. I wonder if my successor is going to be wise or foolish. And it turned out in the end that he was a fool. A Rehoboam, he started off really bad. Then he did three years that were okay, pretty good. And then he ended his life with 14 years of just totally going the wrong way. It's like flushing down the toilet almost everything that was good that his father had done. And so, you know, Solomon uh, shared some things that were true. It turns out that the man he left it to was foolish, especially in the way he ended. Uh, But we read in verse 2, it says, So it happened, uh, when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, that it was in it was in Egypt, where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon, that Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And then they sent for him and called him and Jeroboam, and all Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke which was put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to him, uh, them, come back to me after three days, and the people uh, departed. Now I know for some it can get a little uh, confusing, but eventually I think you kind of get it. You know, Jeroboam was eventually going to be the king of the northern kingdom, Israel. Rehoboam, we're going to see later as this kingdom is eventually divided, will be the king of the southern kingdom. But this guy, uh, Jeroboam, mentioned in verse 2, is also found in Second Chronicles 9.29, but not a lot is said there. If you want to get the full story of Jeroboam, you've got to go to 1 Kings 11, 
And then you read verses 26 through 40. And what you find was Jeroboam was actually an industrious man. He was a hardworking young man. And Solomon saw that guy and he said, man, that guy's smart, he's wise, he's a hard worker. And Solomon promoted him, right? But what had happened was Solomon wasn't right with the Lord. Solomon was living a life of sin. And so God saw that and God said, okay, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge you for that. I will discipline you. And so what happened was he sent a prophet by the name of Ahijah to Jeroboam, that young guy that Solomon had promoted. And Ahijah the prophet went to him and he said, I got a prophecy for you. God is going to take out of the 12 tribes of Israel, God's going to take 10 of them and he's going to give them to you, Jeroboam. So when Solomon found out about that, you know, he says, hey, I'm not going to have none of that. And he went after Jeroboam, he chased him. And so Jeroboam fled to Egypt and he was there until Solomon dies. Okay. So now uh, it's time to crown the king Rehoboam. Jeroboam comes back. All the people come back and they say, hey, listen, before they put that crown on your head, we, we need to ask you a question. Are you going to lighten the load or not? I mean, your, your father Solomon, man, heavy taxes, heavy work upon our lives. Man, before we you know, give you that authority, we want to make sure you're, you're going to do something that would make us happy. Are you willing to lighten the load your father has laid on us? And so it's kind of cool. This is a good thing uh, in one sense, I guess. Rehoboam says, well, let me have three days. Let me have three days uh, to think this one through and then come back and I'll give you the answer. And so in verse 6, it says, Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived, saying, How do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him saying, If you are kind to these people and please them and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. That was actually good counsel um, from the old guys. Um, You know, treat them right. You know, they're coming to you and they're saying, Man, the, the load's been too heavy for us. The taxes have been too much. The work has been too great. Are you willing to lighten the load uh, upon us? And Rehoboam says, okay, give me three days. And then he seeks the advice of the older guys. And the older guys say, you know what? They're right. I like the way uh, one translation, the New English translation puts it. It says, they said to him, if you are fair to these people, grant their request and are cordial to them, they will be your servants from this time forward. Because the New King James says, if you please them. And as a leader, you know, you don't necessarily want to lead just to please the people. But the New English translation, it, can't, it catches it right. It says, you know, they're cordial to them. You're fair with them. You know, grant their request. And then you're going to have them, man, as, as people willing to support you. You know, willing to, to be with you as a leader. And, it, and it's good counsel. Wouldn't you guys say? I, I, know, I, I don't know. I think it, it's good counsel. But look at what happens in verse 8. It says, But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. And he said to them, What advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you should speak to the people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. 
Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, as the king had directed, saying, Come back to me the third day. And then the king answered them roughly. King Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders, and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from God that the Lord might fulfill his word, which he had spoken by the hand of Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. The heavy yoke of taxes, you know, the heavy yoke of labor, almost to the point of slavery. Um, what you find right here is a simple request that people come and ask, before we crown you, can you lighten the load? The older men, they counsel Rehoboam to, to do that, right? And, and here's the thing, and, and as, as we kind of go through this, I, I think there are some lessons for us, you know? One lesson is, you know, as we're making decisions in life, as we're making, you know, big decisions, you know, there's some things to take into consideration when you make those decisions. One, I think is kind of cool, is a lot of times you don't have to make a decision right away. You know, sometimes someone will come up to you and they'll present a situation before you and, and we might be hasty. We might go by emotions or we might just, you know, whatever comes up real quick where sometimes it's not necessary to do it right away. I like the fact that he said, well, give me a few days. And so sometimes you guys, you don't know, remember that, especially younger people. Well, I don't know if I'm younger, but, um, you know, do you guys remember that? Every once in a while, you have to make a decision right away. Your boss says, okay, tell me by 2 o'clock, okay? By, and that, that's the case, you know, you don't have a, an option. But if you have options, um, you know, you're right away quick to jump to something, you know, be careful. Um, wait a few days or take it to the Lord. Um, another thing that's kind of cool is that he asks the older guys, you know, and, uh, and here's the thing that's really interesting about this. At this point in his life, Rehoboam is 41 years old. Okay, later on, he's described as a young man. I like that in the Bible. <laughs> you know, so 41 years old, he's, considered, he's still considered young. And so according to the scriptures, um, you're still young at that age. And I'll tell you what, and, and I'm not there yet. I'm almost there. I'm going to be 50 in a couple of years. Um, you know, you start asking people who are older, you know, in the 50s and, and maybe even in the 60s, maybe even people who have been walking with the Lord, you know, like all their life, 20, 30 years. When you got a heavy decision to make. Seek someone out like that. Seek someone who's been walking with the Lord for a long time or, or someone who's learned through the experiences of life 20, 30 years or so. You know, um, I, I think that was a, a good thing that, that they did right here. 
You know, the older men usually have that wisdom. Uh, they've learned through their life experiences and those of others. Uh, they've usually learned through their mistakes a lot of times. And even through their successes, uh, they have been through the school of life. Okay, so I just want to encourage you guys, as you're making decisions, don't just be hasty. You know, don't set your heart. Here, here's something that's interesting. Some people believe that Rehoboam already had his mind made up, that he's going to go with the young guys. But the Bible doesn't say that, and I'm not real sure about that. Later on, it does say that he was young and inexperienced. So maybe he was open to just, you know, what, what's the counsel going to be? And, and so, you know, he's there and he's going to ask the older guys. And, and I guess it's okay maybe to ask the younger guys, you know, the contemporaries. Sometimes I'll ask the younger people, well, what do you guys think, you know? And what, 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 what comes to your mind in your generation and the Bible says this, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And so, you know, not quick to make the decision, asking some older people, because they've been through that school of life. Uh, you know, when you get in their 50s and above, uh, when they start, you know, having the gray hair, the Bible says it's supposed to mean something, right? We read in Proverbs 20, verse 29, the glory of young men is their strength. So when you need to move something, you call the young guys, right? And the splendor or the beauty of old men, it says, is their gray head. You know, and I don't know if you have someone like that in your life, but if you don't, pray. Lord, bring someone in my life uh, that's older, that has been walking with the Lord for a long time, that knows your word, so I can bounce things off of them. Here's the thing, you guys. At the end of the day, Rehoboam asked the older men and he went to the younger men and that's okay to get the counsel of others. But at the end of the day, who should you ultimately go to? The Lord. You know, you ought to honestly be able to say, I just bathe this in prayer. You know, I took it to God and I heard from him. You know, we don't read that anywhere about Rehoboam. He didn't pray about it. He didn't seek the word. He didn't go to a prophet. Even back then, they had the Urim and the Thummim. He could have sought the Lord. But we read nothing about that whatsoever. And I, and I just think it's an important lesson for us, you guys, because we're always making decisions, and we got to make sure that God is the one that is leading our life. You know, sometimes I see people and the decisions they make, and I, and I just, and they can tell me until they're blue in the face while the Lord's leading me, and I just, I just look at the situation and I just say, you know what? The Lord would not lead you that way. That's, don't blame that on God. You know, it's always like, well, it's a personal relationship that I have. And, and I just know that, that a lot of times those things weren't bathed in prayer, you know. Uh, it's an important lesson for us. Counselors are cool. Godly men have their place, especially older godly men who know the word of God but none of them should ever replace God himself. Do you, do, you, do you have that type of relationship with God? I mean, can you honestly go to him, pray, and hear his voice? Because if not, you're in big trouble. Jesus said, my sheep, they hear me. They know my voice. I wonder sometimes about the church, if whether or not they're really 
listening to the Lord, really praying about things, really seeking out God's will in his word. It's very important for us. You know, and, and you might even be here today like myself and a leader or someone who is experienced. And, and that lesson, however, it never, it never goes away. I think of Joshua. Joshua was such a godly man and he had all the experiences that he went through with Moses and God had led them into victory, into the promised land. But in Joshua chapter 9, the Bible says the enemy worked craftily. And what had happened was the Gibeonites, they came and they tricked him. They brought moldy bread and they brought, you know, old clothes and, you know, beat up wineskins. And they told Joshua, you know, we've come from far, far away and, and we want to make a, a treaty with you. And, and, you know, Joshua looked at the wineskins, he looked at their clothes, he looked at their bread and he said, sure. And he signed on the dotted line and he made a decision, he made a treaty with them. But the Bible specifically says in Joshua 9.14, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. And even Joshua could do that. I could do that. You could do that. You know, we have to look back on our major decisions. And I tell you this, when I have, you know, those major decisions, I have God on my knees. I have fasted. I have prayed. I have asked godly counsel. I have been in the word. And then I can make those decisions. That's where we need to be. You know, again, some will tell you that Rehoboam had his mind made up, but I'm not 100% sure of that. You know, because in the world, if you think about it, here's a young man, relatively speaking. In the world, they kind of want to establish their authority, huh? They kind of want to do that. Apparently, the young men wanted Rehoboam to establish his authority, right? When he started off, he wanted them to make sure they knew who was in charge. And uh, he may even have reasoned, well, if I give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. Um, but, you know, it was crazy, the extremes they went to. Um, look at verse 11 again. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, that's not eggs, okay? <laughs> that's a burden, man. I will add to your yoke. I mean, come on. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. An interesting thing, the scourges right here, literally in the Hebrew language, it's scorpions. Literally scorpions. And, uh, you know, um, some say it's literal, that he's talking about literal scorpions, but it's more than likely a reference to a particularly painful multi-tailed lash with barbed hooks that were actually used in those days. And so, you know, the threat was huge. Rehoboam acted foolishly. He didn't have the wisdom to know this. And here's the second lesson, okay? After making sure you go to God and you get godly counsel, making sure you don't make hasty decisions. The, the second lesson is this, that if God ever puts you in a position of authority, you know, to, to lead people, remember it's for the benefit of the people. It's not for your own benefit. It's not so they can serve you. God would put you there so that you could serve them, Right? And that's one thing that we see uh, Rehoboam didn't understand. You know, Jesus made this crystal clear. Maybe you could put a mark here and go over to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. 
in Mark chapter 10 and And you guys probably know this story. Uh, maybe there's one or two of you who don't, though. So it's always good to review. It says in verse 35 of Mark 10, Then Jesus and jo- James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came to him, speaking of Jesus, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Okay. <laughs> and he said to them, Well, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. Right? They wanted positions. They wanted authority. They wanted to sit on the right and the left, right? But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? I mean, a lot of times people want to go and I want to be on top. I want to be in a position of authority. I want to be, you know, the, the boss. And, and even in the church sometimes. And, and a, lot of, a lot of times... They don't even really know what they're asking for. What they're asking for is to be put in the front of the line where, where there's a, a battle going on in the front line. What they're asking for is that there would be a big bullseye on their, on their life and on their wife's life and on their kid's life because it's a battle. So Jesus is, these guys are thinking of glory. They're in your glory. They're thinking position. They're thinking for themselves. And Jesus knew they didn't really know what they were asking for, what they were getting into, at least not initially. And so uh, he says, are you guys able to drink the cup and the baptism and go through the death? And they said to him, we are able. And so Jesus said to him, well, you know what? You will indeed drink the cup that I drink and And with the baptism I'm baptized with, you will be baptized. You know, eventually they would understand what Christianity really is. They didn't know it then when they were asking, but eventually they would know. He says, but here's the thing. To sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. You know, the, the world wants authority. They want position. They want power. They want that place. They see the glory. And the Lord just says, no, it, it's, it's a hard place to be, first of all. And second of all, you know, you're coming to me and you're asking, but I'm not the one to make that decision. God is the one who puts people where he wants them. See? And so as they're there, they're asking for these things. Um, Verse 41 says, And when the dead heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. So why do you think they were greatly displeased? Because they were disappointed in that they weren't godly? No. (laughs) They were disappointed because they wanted that position too. It's interesting in Luke, when they're actually having the Passover supper, they just kept arguing about this. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be in charge? Who's going to be in authority? So they were upset that these guys had beat him to the punch. And so he, the Lord, he takes this opportunity to really teach us the inverted kingdom. Jesus called them to himself and he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And if you really want to be great, he says right here, and whoever desires to be first 
shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, and I know you guys have probably heard it before, but the the way that it works in the in the kingdom of God is is so opposite to the way that it is oftentimes in the world that we live in. You know, if you want to be a servant, if you want to be great, especially in God's eyes, then you have to be that slave. You know, you have to be the one who understands the only reason I have any authority, the only reason I have any uh, position with responsibility is because I want the people to be blessed. It's for their good. It's not so they can, you know, make me rich. And sometimes you see that on the TVs and these guys are just filthy rich. They've got all this money. And you've got this little lady over here. She's a widow. She's living on a fixed income and she's giving all her money to this guy who is just so selfish. And so for us, if God raises us up, then we got to know um, that there's more work. There's more sacrifice. And that's why the Lord, he said, you know, Lord, they, they said, we'll follow you wherever you go. And he said, okay, well, um, make sure you consider the cost. If you want to enter into the ministry, if you want to be a leader, he said, count the cost first. Because if you go into the ministry and you don't first count the cost, then halfway in, when you're in the ministry, you know, you're going to fizzle out because you thought for some reason that it was for your benefit when in all reality it was for the benefit of the people. And so, you know, back in Second Chronicles 10, this is where Rehoboam was all mixed up. You know, he said, I'm going to assert my authority and I'm going to show them who's in charge and, you know, this is for him and me. And, and he just made such a foolish decision. And so as Rehoboam is about to rise to the throne, what he does is he finds out that God is the one really on the throne. Look again at verse 15. It says, So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from God that the Lord might fulfill his word, which he had spoken by the hand of Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And so the Lord had, remember I told you earlier, the Lord had predicted that this would happen. You can find it in 1 Kings 11.31. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. And so it all happened, uh, it says right here, to fulfill the word of the Lord. The turn of events, it says, was from God. And, and you know, I, just in case you look at that and you're thinking, well, you know, man wasn't the one then. No, it was both. It was Rehoboam, it was Solomon who messed up. It was Rehoboam who messed up. But it was also God uh, working together with man. You see, man has his free will and chooses, and yet God is able to use man's free will to accomplish his judgments. 
Man makes his plans, but God accomplishes his purposes. We know that presidents and kings, they rule, but God always overrules. So you're in your life, and there's this turn of events. Do you think that God didn't know what was going, going on? Do you think that God made a mistake, that God wasn't paying attention? No, God is still always in full control and on his throne accomplishing his purposes. And we're going to see that even more as we go through the study tonight. Now, Warren Wiersbe said this about this passage, Each man and his counselors had acted freely, yet the Lord's will was done. Our sovereign God is so great that he lets people make their own decisions and yet accomplishes his purposes. You know, ultimately we know that God brought judgment for the sins of the king and country. And the same is happening to our, our, our country, United States of America, because of our leaders and so many of our citizens in this country who have turned their back on God. And God will judge unless we repent, unless there's a revival. But God has spoken through the prophet, and of course we know that God will fulfill his word, right? It says right there uh, that the Lord might fulfill his word. You guys know that the Lord will fulfill his word? You guys know that, right? Matthew five seventeen and 18. Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. And so that's this Bible right here, you guys. And that's one cool thing about the Bible. Everything will be fulfilled. Jesus said even the jot, which is the smallest Hebrew letter, and the tittle, which is the smallest Hebrew mark. It would be like kind of like a little I and a little dot. Jesus said everything is going to be fulfilled. And, and one day, it's going to be cool, you guys. We're going to be able to look back like Joshua, and we're going to be able to say as he did in Joshua 21, 45, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel all came to pass. So he said something similar later in Joshua twenty three fourteen. Behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth, he said. I'm about to die. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. And so we're going to look back. Hopefully we get raptured. You guys want to get raptured? That'd be better than, I think probably better than dying, but we'll see. Imagine if we get raptured, you guys. We'll, we're going to be like up in heaven. We're going to be like, wasn't that cool? <laughs> Everything that God said. And then, you know, we find out about the Antichrist. We find out about the tribulation period and just all these things. Man, heaven, the throne, the tree of life. I mean, just everything. And we'll just be like, wow. It's all come to pass. You know, there they said, hey, one day, Solomon, because of your sin, you turned on the Lord big time. And again, we're not talking about people who, who stumble, you guys. You know, we all sin. Uh, probably every day we sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about someone who has hardened their hearts against God, you know, and they're just living in open rebellion to him. He's so patient with us. 
But if we continue in that, he's going to discipline us. And that's what he did with Solomon. That's what he did with Israel. And so he tore ten tribes away, we're going to see, and he gives ten of them to Jeroboam. And the kingdom is divided. Look, it says in verse 16, Now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? How heartbreaking that is after David was such a great king. Solomon and Rehoboam just blew it. We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to your tent, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. <laughs> like, David, you just watch over your own house. You're not going to rule over us. And so all Israel departed to their tents. So does that mean Rehoboam gave up? He didn't give up. Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. And then King Rehoboam sent Hadoram, who was in charge of revenue. But the children of Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. Therefore King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And so the, it's kind of sad, it's almost funny, but the tax guy, you know, he knocks at your door. Hey, you got to pay your taxes. And then the whole city just says, dude, what are you talking about? And they, and they stone him to death. And, and uh, King Rehoboam is in um, Shechem, which is about three miles north of Jerusalem, and he just splits, and he goes down to Jerusalem. And so from this point forward, the kingdom is divided. And you guys uh, will see that the northern kingdom is referred to Israel. Sometimes they call him Ephraim. The southern kingdom is referred to Judah. And, and the southern kingdom will have Judah and Benjamin, the two tribes there. And so Chronicles, it focuses on the southern kingdom. It focuses on the temple and the priests and things like that. First and second kings does both. And this one will mention Israel from time to time, but only when they intersect with the southern kingdom of Judah. And so Rehoboam, he doesn't give up. We read in chapter 11, Now when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled from the house of Judah and Benjamin 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against Israel, that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all Israel in Judah and Benjamin, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up or fight against your brethren. Let every man return to his house. And you might want to underline this. For this thing is from me. Therefore they obeyed the words of the Lord and turned back from attacking Jeroboam. You see, Although God doesn't necessarily author everything, you know, He allows things to happen as they're filtered through His sovereign will. And so here's an interesting thing. In one sense, in a roundabout sense, you can say this over everything, that this thing is from me. I know that's a very difficult place to be, but you can trust the Lord. You know, we sang about it tonight, and when we were singing about it, I was just, I was so grateful to God that He takes all things and works them together for my good. 
You know, even things like this where you would think, how could anything good come out of this? And the Lord says, I'm in full control. You know, I mean, you can say over all these things that this is in one sense, in a roundabout sense, from the Lord, even though we don't understand. And that's where I think we get into problems is, uh, you know, this doesn't make any sense to me, Lord. I don't understand why this happened. You know, and, uh, and we want, we refuse to have peace unless we can understand it, unless, you know, we can add it all up. But we're not supposed to seek the peace that comes from understanding. We're supposed to seek the peace that passes understanding. And we don't know why. You know, I hear Greg Laurie and I've heard Chuck Smith. I've heard a lot of guys that have been walking with the Lord for many years. And man, they love the Lord and they know the word. And they'll tell you, I don't know why. You know, I don't know why that person died. I don't know why that person committed suicide. You know, I can't tell you why that tragedy happened over there and that earthquake and these things. I don't know why. And so every once in a while, you'll get a pastor or someone and they try to tell you why. We don't know why. But I can tell you this, that God will take whatever that, that situation is, you can trust Him. And for whatever reason, He will use it for good. He's accomplishing His purposes and, and, I, and I pray that we would come into a place of our life where you know, we're not upset with God or we're not trying to live for our purposes. You know, those are things that, that have to go away. It's not my will. It's thy will be done. It's not supposed to be me for my purposes. It's supposed to be God for his purposes. They're greater. And that's where we end up. So we don't fight with each other. Here, Rehoboam musters up all these troops and they're going to fight each other. And he says, no, we don't fight with each other. And we definitely don't fight God. You know, we have to make sure that we surrender things to the Lord. You know, he says, hey, don't fight with them. In verse 4, you shall not go up or fight against your brethren. Everybody go home, God says, for this thing is from me. And so we read in verse 5, Rehoboam dwelt in Jerusalem and built cities for defense in Judah. And he built Bethlehem, Etam, Tekoa. That's over in Cambodia. No, I'm just joking. Um, Takeo. What is it? Takeo. Beth-Zur, Sokoth, Adullam, Gath, Marashah, Ziph, Adoram, Lachish, Azekah, Zorah, Aijalon and Hebron, which are in Judah and Benjamin, fortified cities. And he fortified the strongholds and put captains in them and stores of food, oil, and wine. And in every city he put shields and spears and made them very strong, having Judah and Benjamin on his side. And so it's interesting, the cities that are mentioned here are not in the northern portion of Judah, which you would figure kind of protecting them from Israel, he kind of didn't see them as a threat anymore. They were more along the lines of the southern portion, which would protect them from Egypt and Edom and Moab um, over on the east side. And so, you know, just kind of doing diligence. We're going to see that the first three years of Rehoboam, he kind of did pretty good, right? 
And so, as a result of that, the Lord begins to move spiritually. Look at verse 13. And from all their territories, the priests and the Levites who were in all Israel, I like this, took their stand with him. Isn't that cool? For the Levites left their common lands and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them from serving as priests to the Lord. And then he appointed for himself priests for the high places, for the demons and the calf idols which he had made. And so, you know, when you look at this, you got now the northern kingdom, which is huge, massive area, and you've got the southern kingdom, which is Judah. And, and what ends up happening, we read right here, is that the priests and some of the people, they left Israel and they came to Judah, right? And, uh, and, and it's cool when the Lord begins to move in a spiritual way. You know, according to Second Chronicles 13.9, the priests were cast out. But it was primarily because of the fact that Jeroboam led his country into idolatry. I was wondering if you can go back to 1 Kings chapter 12 so you can read the story of exactly what happened. Why did the northern kingdom fall into idolatry so that these priests had to leave, these people had to leave? What says in 1 Kings 12 in verse 25, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. Also he went out from there and built Peniel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, this is what he said, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord. Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. And so... You know, Jeroboam is thinking, you know what, I'm worried. Because if the people go down to Jerusalem in the temple, then they might, you know, turn back to the house of David. So what does he do? He builds a, a shrine in Dan, which is in the northernmost part of Israel. And he builds a, a shrine down here in Shechem, which is in the southern portion. And what ends up, I'm sorry, Bethel. And what he does is he says, this are your gods. This is the one in verse uh, 28. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And it's just crazy to see how he made straight out idolatrous images of calves of gold for the people uh, to worship. Have you guys ever heard that phrase, holy cow? You guys ever heard that? Well, in one sense, this is really the, the origin of it, or at least this is what brought it fame. Even today, we still hear that. Here's something really interesting. The act of Jeroboam in crafting images of cows for worship 
was not unique. Not only did he repeat the actions of Aaron, you guys remember that when the children of Israel came out of uh, Egypt by creating a golden calf, but he quoted the words of Aaron. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. If you compare Exodus 32, verse 4, and 1 Kings 12, 28, you'll see it was the same phrase. Here are your gods that brought you up, O Israel. And you want to know why it's the same words? Because it's the same spirit. They were demonic. It was demonic. And even back in Second Chronicles, that's exactly what it says. If you look at Second Chronicles 11, then he appointed for himself priests for the high places for the demons. The demons. See, all these idols... All these, the Bible calls them doctrines of demons. They find themselves with the same origin. And so Jeroboam, he doesn't really care about the Lord. And it's interesting, you guys. And as we go through this, you know, here's something that can be a little frustrating. But I hope that we really learn from this. So many of these guys started off good. So many of them started off good. I'm reading through the life of Saul right now, my devotional life, and just, he started off good, and God, you know, I, I believe God chose him because he was a man with so much potential, but he ended up so bad. Jeroboam at one time was right on. That's why Ahijah came to him and, and, and you know, appointed him. Um, but, but what ended up happening is right away, he forgot that it wasn't about him. Right away, he, started, he didn't think about the Lord anymore. All he thought about was his kingdom. All he thought about was, well, they might leave my kingdom. They might kill me. Well, it doesn't matter if they leave your kingdom. It doesn't matter if they kill you. All that matters is, is the Lord. That's all that matters. Don't live your life to preserve your life. Live your life for the Lord. Jeroboam was, man, I, I got to do something. And so, you know, it was a great idea. He asked advice from demons. They said, well, build an idol here, build an idol there. That way they don't go. Well, the cool thing is some of the priests, they, they understood what was really going on. And they left. Remember back in verse 13, they took their stand with him. In verse 14, they left their common lands and their possessions. And they came to Judah and Jerusalem. And there's a lesson right there. There's a lesson. You know, in this world, we have to leave uh, things. We have to leave the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. We have to leave possessions if it ever gets in the way of the Lord. I'd rather be homeless. I'd rather live in a tent. You know, I don't have to buy. I'll rent. Sometimes we have to leave those things in order to stay with the Lord. And all the time. As a matter of fact, did you guys know that the word church, it means called out ones? That's who we are. You know, it's interesting. When Peter was talking to Jesus um, in Matthew nineteen twenty-seven, it says, And Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? 
And so Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake, my namesake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Now, this doesn't mean you can't have siblings or you can't, you know, you leave your wife. Okay, don't do that. Okay, guys, or, or your whatever. I can't have a relationship with mom and dad. No, it just means this, that the Lord comes first, right? And if ever, let's just say ever there's a conflict there, there's no conflict because the Lord, you know, he comes first. These guys, they left their lands that they had received and uh, when you read the, the scriptures, how the priests had received their, their lands, they had even received their pasture lands. I mean, they left it. That was big back then. But they knew what they had to do. They had to come, and they had to go to Jerusalem, and they had to worship the Lord. And so we read in verse 16, And after the Levites left, those from all the tribes of Israel such as set their heart to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. And so they strengthened the kingdom of Judah, notice that, and made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong for three years. Why? Because they walked in the way of David and Solomon in his early days for three years. Here's one thing that was interesting. One of the guys said this. He said, some divisions are good. Because it forces people to make a choice. You know, for one thing, divisions force people to make decisions. And the decisions they make reveal where they're at. The priests and Levites, they left Israel and came to Judah because they wanted to serve in the true temple and be ruled by a king from David's line. And so these were people who, notice it says right here, they set their hearts to seek the Lord. God of Israel. So let me ask you a question. We're almost done here. Have you set your heart to seek the Lord? I mean, these are guys that they're just somewhere in there. They set their hearts, not their heads, not their habits. They set their hearts to seek the Lord. Have you done that? Have I done that? You know, this is what we need to do. You know, I, I know this is a silly illustration, but I think of like my phone and I'm putting it on Bluetooth. You know, I'm searching for whatever that connection. Um, our hearts have to be that way, you know, where we want that connection. We want the Lord to speak to us. And we're going to see that in Second Chronicles uh, over and over again. Jehoshaphat, um, you know, sought, set his heart to seek the Lord. We'll read in 19.3 and... Later on, Hezekiah speaks to the people in 3019, and he tells them to prepare their heart to seek God. We'll find success in life if we do this. I love the passage in Ezra chapter 7. It basically says that he was able to make the journey from Babylon to Jerusalem because he set his heart, he prepared his heart to seek the Lord. If not, we'll end up with great regret 
and at the end of our life, a terrible testimony. As a matter of fact, if you go over to chapter 12, in verse 14, it says, And he did evil, why? Because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And you know who he's talking about? Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the guy who was doing good for three years, he then went, because he ruled for a total of 17 years, 14 years, he said, I'm not going to seek the Lord anymore. You know, I don't know. I, I know that you can probably talk to a lot of Christians here tonight that have been walking with the Lord for a long time. And if they're healthy, they will tell you this, that I'm seeking God more than I ever have in my whole life. Because I, as I grow older, I realize I can do nothing without Him. I can't. I know that. That's proven. That's a fact. And so you guys, that never gets old. It never gets old. You know, the nation was strengthened when they sought the Lord. It reminds me of Psalm 33, verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. And so we read in verse 18, Then Rehoboam took for himself as wife Mahalath, the daughter of Jeremoth, the son of David, and Abahali, the daughter of Eliah, the son of Jesse. And she bore him children, Jeush, Shemariah, and Zaham. After her, he took... Ma'akath, the granddaughter of Absalom, and she bore him Abijah, Atai, Ziza, and Shilamith. Now Rehoboam loved Ma'akah, the granddaughter of Absalom, more than all his wives, probably because she was real pretty, because you know, guys know Absalom was supposed to be real handsome, and so was his sister Tamar. So that's sad. It's just sad. And his concubines, uh, for he took, check this out, 18 wives, 60 concubines, and begot 28 sons and 60 daughters. He ruined his life, huh? So crazy. Rehoboam appointed Abijah, the son of Ma'akah, as chief to be leader among his brothers, for he intended to make him king. He dealt wisely and dispersed some of his sons throughout all the territories of Judah and Benjamin to every fortified city, and he gave them provisions in abundance. He also sought many wives for them. Many wives, many wives. Who does that remind you of? Solomon. That was his dad, right? You know what they say? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? Chip off the old block like father, like son. Uh, there's a guy I knew. Um, his wife was a Christian, and, uh, and he wasn't for a long time. And uh, his kids grew up. His wife was walking with the Lord. He wasn't. And, uh, and when, they, when he got saved, they were in their late teen years. But by that time, he messed them up. See, it can happen in the beginning. You come to the Lord later. It can happen in the end where you start off good and you start ending bad. That's why it's important for us uh, you guys, and I'm not saying it's too late for anyone or, or no one's too far, but I just really encourage you guys. Um, God is good. It's not complicated. It's not sophisticated. It's not a religion. It's a relationship with the Lord. You seek Him. You talk to Him. You let Him talk to you. You let Him lead you and guide you. You use counselors, yeah, but more than anything else, um, you listen to the Lord. 
And you do what's right as Christians, knowing that we're not here, you know, to dominate or to get our way. We're here to serve, you know, for his glory and, and their good. And as we read through Chronicles, we're going to see a lot of messed up people. We're going to look in the mirror a lot. But my prayer is that as we go through this book, that we will learn uh, from, from their mistakes. That's why it's written. These things were written for our own admonition. And whatever you do, if you're here tonight and you're struggling, or maybe you feel like a terrible, terrible sinner, um, I want you to know, and you got to know, that you're not beyond the forgiveness that's found in Jesus Christ. And he can restore you like that. That today, if you would just come to him and just say, Lord, here I am, I, I, I've messed up, I, I've sinned, but I want a new life. I need you. Whether you're a Christian or, or not, I think sometimes we need to do that. We need to rededicate our life to him. He'll meet you here. He, he really will. He's an awesome God who died for you on the cross. And so I do pray that you would believe in him, not just with your head, not just with your brain, but that you would trust him with your heart. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.